We're going to take a break from James this week. We've been working our way through James. I was very thankful to Pastor Gary for preaching last week in our weird time, our 4 o'clock service that we had on Sunday. It was really cool that still 100 people showed up and we just moved church to a different time. So thank you for being one of those people if you were able to make it. And if not, we understand we didn't consult you before we moved it. So, you know, we're glad you're back. Um, And so we're taking a pause from working through the book of James. We're actually going to pick that up next week again. We're going to do three more weeks in James, and then we're going to take uh, a weekend to do um, basically our Palm Sunday. We'll be our Palm Sunday, and then we'll have Easter. We're starting a new, it'll be a three-week series. We begin on Easter. Um, So that's kind of what's coming up if you're wondering about where we're going with things. But um, I actually got a chance to spend uh, a little bit of time in Orlando a week or two ago at a conference. Um, It was glorious. I did lay down in the grass there was no snow and soaked in the sun for about 15 minutes between sessions at one point. That was the entire vacation right there. Uh, I made it worth it. Um, and as I was spending some time away and with 5,000 other pastors and worshiping with them and, uh, and listening to people talk about the church, um, I got some perspective. It was really great because what you don't necessarily always realize is that as a pastor, like, we're kind of sometimes in crisis mode on a pretty weekly basis because Sunday's coming. And also, there are a lot of people in the church who are having problems. And so when you're trying to juggle all that stuff, a lot of times you basically are just working in the ministry on a weekly basis. And you're just making sure that on Sunday we have like a full worship team and that like everyone's ready to go. And then we have our volunteers all scheduled and everything's good. And then by the time you get to Sunday, you're, you know, you're basically just, you know, preaching along, trying to keep things moving. But when I got a chance to go away, I kind of got a little bit of chance not to work just in the ministry, but to work on the ministry and to think about where we're at as a church, to give it some thought, to kind of maybe get the 10,000-foot view of where we are as a church. And I think God showed me a couple things, and so I just wanted to take this week to uh, teach you, preach to you uh, from something that I feel like God moved on my heart while we were gone, okay? Generally, when you come into our church, we're going to be working our way through some section of the Bible. This is very important to us to really lift God's word up. Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot, essentially we have an entire generation of biblically illiterate people, and so we're trying to teach the Bible as best we can, and we want to honor God's word every time, so rarely do we do a topical sermon, we will do them from time to time when we need to, today is going to be sort of topical, but we're parked in a passage, okay, and so the passage was the one that we just read, and um, so I want to give you a little bit of an update, Um, here's where we're at as a church, and first I want to give you a few stats, and then I want to tell you kind of what God showed me about our church while I was away, and then I want to challenge us to really work on something where we aren't doing great yet, okay? So that's where we're going today in the sermon, okay? So if you're uh, first time today, well, you're getting a great uh, idea of what's really happening here, because I'm going to just basically cut it open and show you what's going on behind the scenes, and you get a chance to see what's going on. So uh, since we launched, we have averaged 167 people a weekend, right, since November. Just, Just let that... Just let that bathe over you. 167 people here on a weekly basis, putting up with me, putting up with you, enjoying hopefully the community that's been built here, uh, getting connected. I, I don't know. I just it's been amazing to watch what God has been doing among us. Um, we have averaged uh, about 17,000 a month in offerings. Uh, I just like just stop for a second. Like when we started this church, I was worried that like maybe I was gonna have to get another job, or we're going to have to figure something out. God's blessed us in, cre- in incredible ways. You know, when we do that offering here, it's, it's, a, it's almost a formality. We're, we're, we're doing the offering. It's part of worship for people that 
that love this church, that are part of what we're doing, for everyone else, like we have plenty. God has given us incredible uh, resources so far. And so it's just been amazing. Yeah, thanks, Shane. Um, last month or a couple weeks ago, we hired our first employee. Well, I guess it would be, I guess, technically I would be the first employee. So our second employee, we hired Megan. And, and we're going to announce another hire next Sunday. So there you go, right? God's been doing some pretty amazing things, and we are still looking to hire one more. Um, we have given away over $4,000 to church planting so far since we have existed. Okay, now just, just, I mean, just think about that. We've only been in existence since November. We basically, when I say given away, we put $4,000 into an escrow account, which is earmarked for our first church plant in three years. It is a high value to us as a church to make sure that we are continuing to grow God's kingdom in the way that he birthed this place. And so we are going to, within the first three years, we're going to try to get $30,000 together. We're going to hire ourselves a church planter and send them somewhere and send some of you with them and send $30,000 with them to, to partner with them. And we'll partner with another church who will do the same thing. And so we'll have people from two different churches and $60,000 plus some money from the denomination. And they'll have an incredibly fast start the way that we had. So many of you are like, yeah, I used to go to Renovation. I used to go to Cornerstone. Those two churches launched us to where we are at now. And if you arrived since we uh, launched in November, well, you're one of the first that didn't exist from those two churches. And so it's pretty sweet. Okay, that's what we're doing. So we've already put $4,000, over $4,000 into our escrow account that we will spend on church planting within the first three years. We have given over $650 both to the Quincy House and Ralph Reader since we've existed, okay? And more to come, right? We are doing this on a quarterly basis, so already we're going to be giving a nice big chunk here in another week, or another month or two. We are working on some bigger projects in the community that we'll be announcing in the coming months, things that will include many, many different organizations, things where we've actually felt like God has given us an opportunity to step into a need that's really based right here in Moundsview, okay? So we're working on that. Our small groups, is there anybody doing a small group right now? A lot of people. We've had eight small groups start with over 90 people in those groups. And by the way, that's not counting kids. We have like 20, in my, 20 kids in my group alone. I'm just throwing it out there. There's another group that <laughs> meets one other night of the week. They got like 20 kids, okay? So like 90 is just adults that are connected. And there's a whole bunch of kids in some of these groups. Um, and the first responses of people who are in these groups are coming back with essentially the same theme from every group. We can't believe how incredible and how deep these are going, how fast they're going. It's amazing. People are sharing stuff that they just didn't think they'd be able to share. They didn't think they'd find a safe community to be able to let some of that stuff out and really talk it and carry it with other people. And we have people rallying to what's going on in the lives of people in their small group. And it's been incredible. By the way, if you are not in a small group, you've missed like two or three weeks, I'll get you in one. Tell me what night of the week you're available. Tell me what you're looking for, and I will put you in. Uh, to a group. And by the way, if you're in a group, please invite everyone you meet every single week at church into your group. Go for it. Just make it uncomfortable. Get so many people in that group that it's uncomfortable and you have to decide to do something about it as a group, okay? That's the goal. We're not going to close these groups. We want to continue to invite people into them. We may start new ones with new people at different times of the year, but for right now, we're going to keep filling the ones we have. So God really showed me that we've been doing a lot of things really well. Uh, financially he's resourced us, people have been coming, the groups have been amazing, um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I think we have connected really well 
with what I call church orphans. Okay, so people who weren't connected somewhere, don't know, uh, you know, don't didn't have a, a really strong, solid connection to a church, and just were kind of floating out there. And we've kind of collected all of these people who are looking for something they just couldn't find, and they've been finding it here. We've been doing a really good job at that. But as I really started to dig in and ask God where we were going as a church, I feel like God started to show me a, another area where we aren't doing so good yet. Um, and I think when we started this church, one of our ideas here was that we weren't going to empty out other churches to fill ours. That we were going to reach lost people. We were going to reach people who are far from God, people who are not connected. And I think we found a lot of people who are not connected, and we've helped connect them. But I think God showed me very strongly that we need to do better when it comes to reaching lost people, people who are far from him. And I want you to know part of that is marketing, which we have spent a whole lot of money on and are working really hard on. We have a marketing team that gets together and thinks about how to make a splash in the community, invite people in. But actually, the best way for us to reach lost people is for each of us to be reaching someone. For each of us to be thinking about lost people in our lives, people that we work with, people that are in our family, people that we have as neighbors, to be reaching out to people who are far from God and to be bringing them in to find Jesus here. Um, and that is really, I think, what God showed me. And so... This passage was just something I really just, I felt like uh, I wanted to highlight and I wanted to challenge us as a church to be thinking about how we reach out to people who wouldn't be comfortable in a church. Now, I'm not comfortable in a couple of places. And generally, if you know me, you know I'm very comfortable in almost any place I go. I generally talk to every person who's a stranger. I have no boundaries at all when it comes to just completely having conversations with people anywhere I'm at. In fact, if you hang out with me too long, you're probably uncomfortable being around me in general. I'm like the extrovert of all extroverts, and I am the, you know, one of my gifts is evangelism. So I would generally strike up a conversation with every waiter, every person that makes eye contact with me. Every time I'm in a store, I would just randomly comment on things and start conversations with people. I'm just one of those people. But there is a place where I feel very uncomfortable, and I feel like it is not a very safe place, and that's the grocery store, okay? I don't know what form of hell uh, the grocery store is, but for me, I want you to know, I get a list of things to go get from the grocery store, and generally, there are things on the list where I'm just kind of like, what is this again? I'm not even sure. I'm sure that the people who run the grocery store move things on purpose to confuse and laugh at me, okay? I also am 100% aware that there are philosophies on how to stock stores that range from Walmart, you know, my people, right? Uh, my family's from Georgia, my dad's side of the family. We're Walmart people. Some of you guys are like, gross. I would never go into Walmart. You go to Target. They're stocked very differently. Some of you guys are like, uh, I want to go to Cub. Okay, Cub is like, forget it. There's just 100 million options for every stupid thing, okay? And I know that no matter what happens when I go to the grocery store, when I get home, I will not have gotten the right thing. It's just 100% that it will not have, I will not have gotten the right thing. In fact, the other day I went to the store, I went to, to Cub, which was probably my first mistake, and I was like, okay, I need to pick up cheese. And so I asked the person, where's cheese, right? And they're like, hey, it's over in this section over here. It's not like the dairy, it's in a separate area, okay, come on over. And I'm looking through the cheese, and I cannot find what it is that I'm looking for. 
And so I'm looking at the cheese, looking at the cheese, and finally I find a random person that's walking by, and I go, where is the cheese? And they're like, it's right here. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm looking for Velveeta. <laughs> it's not in the cheese section, guys. Can we just stop for a second? It's in a cardboard box wrapped in foil in another section of the store. Maybe I shouldn't be eating that. That's kind of... <laughs> Something weird about how is that possible? Those are not happy cows that made that. This is not from Wisconsin. I'm sure it's not from Wisconsin, right? I feel like every time I go to the grocery store, I'm uncomfortable and I don't fit and it's scary for me and I'm going to get it wrong and I can't find anything I'm looking for and no one is there to help me. If you find someone who's willing to help you, essentially they do one of the, this is what happens. You go, hey, do you know where, um, you know, pork rinds are? It's another, I'm from Georgia. They go, what do they say? Aisle 12, wherever it is. They just tell you, they point. They're like, hey, it's over there, aisle 12. We mark the aisles. We put up signs so that you could find it, right, for dummies like you. Uh, and you know everything's not listed on that sign, so you got to like think in categories. It's really obnoxious, and I'm really terrible at it. And so finally, I'll wander over to aisle 12, and I'll ask six people on the way, and I'll find my, you know, my way to where I'm looking, and I'll find it. And it's just not a friendly place. And I want you to know there are a lot of people that when they come to church, their experience is exactly that. They walk in, seems like everybody is at their family reunion, okay? There's people in the lobby hugging each other and high-fiving, and people are smiling, and there are people running around, and there are kids that act like they own the place. Those are my kids, probably. And they walk in, and they're like, what did I do? <laughs> I'm not comfortable here. What's going on with this? And then they come down here, and they come into this place, and we use language sometimes that doesn't make sense to them, and they feel like this isn't necessarily a place where I'm like 100% comfortable. I can maybe find my way if I ask enough people, but I'm not sure that anyone is really thinking about me. They're generally, in most churches, are pointing and saying, go for that, do that, go over there, do that thing. Right? They're pointing to aisles that have the things listed out but they're not necessarily walking with the person to the place. They're not exactly helping them. And this is the, the thing that a lot of churches struggle with and deal with. Anytime we get people together and there's relationships involved, we're going to generally turn inward. Our, our natural disposition is going to be to turn inward. And I didn't think I would even have to be having this conversation because we're trying to build community. That's what we're doing, right? But we have to be really careful not to turn inward and then to create a place that unsaved people don't want to come to church. Does that make sense? It's really a difficult thing because we're going to naturally do that and we want to make sure that we are turning outward, right? So, so here's Jesus. He's calling uh, his original disciples and he comes across a tax collector named Levi and, uh, and he basically calls him to follow him. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were at the outskirts of society. They were essentially cut off from what was happening in the Jewish culture, right? They weren't fully uh, accepted into the Roman Greek culture, and they weren't fully accepted into the Jewish culture, and so they were essentially hated by their own people and then used by the, uh, the people who were in charge. And they were looked at as people who had kind of sold out their own people. And so Jesus comes across Levi and he says, he says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. 
right? So in this society, Levi would have been an outcast of society. He would have been all the way at the edge of society. He would have been somebody nobody trusted, wanted to hang out with, wanted to spend time with. They probably would have walked by him and tried to avoid him because he was basically extorting money from his own people to give to the occupying force that was holding down Jerusalem at the time. He was working for Rome and taking from his people, essentially a foot in each, but not really accepted in either. And so when Jesus calls him, that must have just like been a completely foreign concept to him. Right? He essentially was an outcast. Now, a couple of things about Jesus. Right? When he sees you, or when he sees Levi or Matthew in this situation, he doesn't allow his status in the culture to define what he sees in Levi. When he looks at him, he sees the potential of what God could be doing in his life if he were able to find a way to submit himself to Jesus. When he calls for him to follow him, it's a call to submit to a rabbi. Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees your potential, not your past. And he doesn't give up on people. Like, just think about that for a second. People walk in with baggage here all the time. We're all struggling with our faith. We're all, you know, struggling with sin in our life, with things that we would like to be different about what's going on in our lives. Jesus never gives up on us. He never stops seeing the potential in us, and he continues to call us to follow him no matter what is happening in our world. Your life does not need to be defined by the worst thing that you have done. Jesus sees what you are capable of, and he calls it out of you. And he calls us to respond in just the same way that he called Matthew or Levi. By the way, those two names show you a little bit about him. One of those is his Greek name, and one of those is his Hebrew name, Matthew and Levi. Okay? And follow me is a huge phrase that was laced with meaning back in their day. So in Jesus' time, if you were a young man coming up and you wanted to, to you know, be um, with, follow a rabbi or be somebody who's important, you went through a certain amount of school, and then the rabbi would come and he would start to call young people to follow him, and then they would basically, he would start to teach them his ways. So you essentially would be saying, I'm going to follow this person and try to become like them. I'm going to take on their teaching, and their yoke was the the word that they used for the teaching. I'm going to take it on, and I'm going to become like this person. So when Jesus uses this phrase, follow me, he's essentially reaching out to someone and calling them to follow him as a disciple. And Matthew would have known immediately what he meant when he said that, right? Because a rabbi would go and find students who he believed had potential to be like him. So when he said that to Matthew, he was essentially saying, I know that you're sitting here behind the tax collector's booth, but I see a future that you don't even see, that you can be like me. Follow me indicated that the rabbi believed in the potential of the disciple and had the, that they had the ability and commitment to become like him. It would be a remarkable affirmation of the confidence the teacher had in the student. Disciples were to be with their rabbi, to follow their rabbi, to live by their rabbi's teaching, and to imitate their rabbi's actions. And they were to make everything else in their life secondary to that. You know, when we see Jesus calling people, I don't know if you've ever thought this before, but I always have a hard time with it, because he basically calls them out, and it says, you know, he calls out fishermen, they drop their nets, and they go. He calls out this tax collector, it says he gets up and goes. You'd think, like, why are these people responding so 
in such an intense way because the call of a rabbi was to basically disengage with everything around you and to follow and submit to me, essentially. So when he did that, Matthew understood what he was being called to, and he did it immediately. We see disciples leaving their family, leaving their work, leaving their possessions in an instant because of how incredible of an honor it was to be called to follow a rabbi. And so Jesus brings in someone who is living at the outskirts of society. And that should be great news for us. Because Jesus still calls us from the outskirts into the game, into what he's calling us to do, into his plan, into building his kingdom. Jesus continues to see what is possible in our lives and to call us to follow him. And look how Matthew responds. Look how Levi responds. Verse 28. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Like, he didn't wait and he didn't hedge. Basically, Jesus called him and he said, yes, let's go now. He didn't spend time thinking about it. He didn't count the cost exactly. He basically put everything down got up and went after Jesus. He didn't stop and say, well, I've got time to respond to Jesus, right? You, have you had these thoughts before? Like, hey, you really should, you know, uh, we're going to present the gospel. We want you to follow Jesus. You're like, I have time. I've had these conversations with teenagers. I'm not sure. I, I've, I have time in my life, okay? You don't always have time. Your life can end in an instant, right? And what Jesus calls for when he says to follow me, he calls for an instant decision to go and to be with him. We can't wait and play the game. I'll get to following Christ when. Now is not a great time, right? And he didn't hedge. He didn't say, okay, but, or let me do this first, or let me get this out of the way. He just dropped what he was doing, dropped what was important to him, and said, I will follow you the first time that you call me, and you will be my Lord from day one. And he followed him. And he introduced everybody he knew to Jesus. Look at verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Levi does exactly what we should do when we respond to Jesus, and exactly what we should continue to do as we grow and become more like Jesus is that he introduces Jesus to everybody he knows. We can see a picture into Levi's community. The people that he calls to his banquet are other tax collectors who are rejected from society, and the word others, okay? Others, people who don't fit, who haven't found a community, who aren't connected. They're people who are living on the outskirts with these tax collectors, and he basically brings them all together, and he's like, guys, you have to meet Jesus, that never should stop with us as Christians. Like, we should be looking at how do I introduce people to Jesus? Every person I know, every situation, every lost person needs to know who Jesus is. If I've been saved, if I've found peace, if I have been loved, I should do the same thing for other people, right? Saved people save people. Healed people heal people. Loved loved people love people, right? When we have been responded to Christ and received these things from him, It's our chance to then go and share this with the world around us. And there are people hurting all over the place. They act like they have it together. On the outside, it looks okay. But in general, in reality, what's going on underneath the surface is people who are lost, who are hurt, who are broken, who aren't connected, who don't know God, who are 
just struggling in life looking for something. They don't even know what it is. We have it. The question is, are we doing what he did and are we inviting people into that relationship? It goes on. Then we got the big bad Pharisees here. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and, they don't use the word others here, look at the word they use, and sinners. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for sinners. He came for others. He came for tax collectors. He came for broken people, for unloved people, for unconnected people, for people who are looking for something and they don't even know what they're looking for. He came to call people with potential to leave it all and to follow him. And he calls us to do the exact same thing that Matthew did, to invite those people in, to bring them along. People are uncomfortable sometimes. Their situations are difficult. The stuff that they're dealing with is messy. It's not always easy to step into relationships with people who are struggling, okay? But Jesus calls us to go towards the mess, to step into it, and to do what he did with people. He hung out in the hospital. He hung out with people who are in crisis. Matthew was living in isolation. These tax collectors, these sinners that he had connected, they they were basically connected at the outskirts of society and not part of what was happening. That was what his life consisted of. And essentially, he was in public every day receiving all kinds of abuse from people. And he himself was doing things that God wasn't happy with. And he was struggling and trying to find his meaning in the world. He couldn't find it until Jesus came and said, follow me. I want our church to reflect that mission. I want our church to be a hospital, not a museum. This is not the kind of place that we invite people into to learn about religion. This is the kind of place that we say, bring whatever you're dealing with, whatever difficulties you have, come and be part of what we're doing. Come and get to know Jesus. Come and have your life changed and be part of our community. Jesus didn't come for people who are well. He came for people who were, were sick. And he calls us to run to the mess, to step into the chaos, to serve people in crisis, and to make room for those who don't fit in other places. And you know what, guys? This is unnatural because we're not geared this way. We are geared to protect. We are geared to love the community that we have. We are geared to hold the mess back. We are geared to push people away in our own selfishness and our own sin. We're geared to get enough people around us that we feel comfortable and then stop growing and stop inviting people into the community. And that happens a lot in churches. That can't be what defines us. That cannot be the thing that we allow to happen here. That we need to continue to invite people back into this. Like Jesus, when he says, that he would leave the 99 and go after the one lost sheep. You know, what's funny about that is that we never think about that. He goes after the lost sheep. He doesn't wait for that sheep to wander back before he rescues it. He goes after it. 
right? I shared with you the grocery store, right? The, they got aisles. You ask somebody for something, they point you to the aisle. Well, to give you the exact opposite of that experience, right? I, I used to work at Home Depot. I love Home Depot. I don't even go to Lowe's because they don't not like Home Depot, okay? This is what I love about Home Depot. I know I'm a homer, so you can make fun of me later. If you ask somebody at Home Depot where something is, what do they do? They grab you by the arm and they go, Mr. Allen, your wife called ahead. <laughs> Let me help you. And they walk you to the place. A lot of times you'll find some guy in paint who you'll ask him an electrical question, and he doesn't know the answer. He'll grab you by the arm and walk you to electrical and find the right person for you to connect with and ask the question and help you solve the problem. And before he walks away, he'll say, is there anything else that you need? Yeah, I need a lot of stuff. I'm terrible at this. Can you help me find this? Can you help me find that? They'll go through their, your whole entire list of stuff that you need. Essentially, you can have a personal valet by asking one question. And when I worked at Home Depot, if we didn't do that, if we got caught pointing or telling somebody an aisle number, we would get written up for that. Because the corporate culture at Home Depot is to serve the person who's right in front of you and to walk them to the place that they need to go. That's what we need. If a lost person walks into this door, man, there should be a personal valet on their arm explaining things, helping them get comfortable, getting them connected. All of us should see it as our job to both be inviting people in who would be uncomfortable in a church and then finding those people when they show up and helping them get connected and understand what's happening and be part of it. There's a huge difference between somebody who points to the aisle and says, go, good luck. You're probably never going to find it, right? And someone who walks you right to it and shows you what it looks like. There's a huge, huge difference. Uh, we used to live in New Jersey. I don't recommend it, by the way. Uh, and we lived about 15 minutes from Manhattan in northern New Jersey. So we could jump on a train and be in the city. It was, okay, that part of it was amazing. Uh, and we had no kids. And so me and Marty, basically, as we lived in New Jersey, we would basically just jump on a train and be in the city. We'd hang out in a park or go eat some, like, really authentic food that you couldn't get anywhere else in the world, you know, unless you were actually in that country. So we'd go to, like, Little Italy, and we'd go to Chinatown, and we'd, like, check out all the really authentic places. And if you're ever going to go visit uh, Manhattan, you're going to go on vacation to Manhattan, I'll just give you, like, five places that I think you should totally go to. And I'll help you plan a little bit of that out. But we, one place that I was really intimidated by was Indian food. I just, I just didn't know anything about it. I, I think I like it. I wasn't sure. I heard that like a lot of people are vegetarians. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like I don't really trust anyone who doesn't eat meat. I'm just going to throw it out there. Like not 100%. Like, mm, yeah, I'm going to look at you a little bit weird. And I was just kind of intimidated, right? So I had a friend who was like, hey, let's go get Indian food. I know the spot. And I was like, okay, I think I like it. I don't know. I think it's good. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. So she took us to this place, and it was a, a vegetarian Indian place, and the menu made no sense to me at all. I didn't know what was happening. And she ordered for our whole table, right? And then they brought things, and then we all ate things, which were incredible and so delicious. And I was like, are you sure there's no meat in this? Like, this is really good. I, maybe if I was living in India, I would be okay with being a vegetarian, right? I just couldn't believe it. It blew my mind. It was like one of the most incredible experiences ever. And you know how many times 
I will have to go back to that place and have that experience with somebody guiding me before I was going to feel comfortable ordering anything. Time two, I went and I was like, I like the orange stuff. It's like, you know, it has that, like I was trying to explain what it was. It took me time after time after time until I was finally comfortable saying, I know what it is that I like to eat at an Indian restaurant. We, we need ambassadors to people who are going to say, like, I'm not only going to invite unsaved people into this place, but I'm going to walk with them as they find their way in this church. It's intimidating. People don't know. They, they're like, what, what is it? I don't know what I like about this or I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm like putting my finger on some things. I'm not exactly sure why it is that I feel this way. We, we need to be walking with people and being ambassadors for the experience of coming to a church and getting to know, know Jesus. And my challenge to you is, have you thought about the people in your life who are lost who need to be part of what's going on here? Because we can do the, the air war, right? We can send out the flyers and put out the, the, you know, the signs and we can do the marketing stuff. We're on Facebook marketing, all kinds of things. And we can reach people in that way, but we need the ground war. We need each and every person in this church starting to think like Jesus about the people around them. I, I mean, we need to be going to work thinking about the people around us, in our neighborhood thinking about the people around us, in our family thinking about the people around us. We need to have that outward focus as individuals inviting people into what is so great about what we're connected to here. And it's not because I want us to have, like, more people. I feel like God will make this church the size it needs to be. I, I don't care what size it is. I'm happy to say God has brought the people here that he will bring here. But I want to reach people for Christ. I don't feel like that can end for us. We have to be reaching out. And I, I want to give you some tips because for me, uh, evangelism is like a, a heart. It's just part of, it's just, it's just one of the gifts that I have. I know a lot of people that struggle with evangelism. You're like, I, it's not one of my gifts. I don't want to do it. Leave me alone. Stop asking me to do this. A lot of you guys are smiling. I'm sorry I hit a nerve there. I want you to think about this kind of stuff. Pay attention to people who are in transition. Like anytime something is, is, is changing in their life, their, a career change, they're moving, they're having kids, they're sending kids off to college, they're getting, starting a new relationship, they're thinking about marriage, uh, they're, they're you know, going to college. Like, think about transitions in people's lives. People are more open to hearing the gospel and being invited into something when they're going through a transition. Think about who in your life is going through a transition where you could say, hey, let's bring Jesus into the equation while all this other stuff in your life is changing. It's a really, really good opportunity to, to share the gospel. And in fact, you don't even necessarily have to be a Bible scholar. Just invite them to come with you. Put them on your arm and be an ambassador, right? Just, just walk with them from aisle to aisle and help them get comfortable in the church, and you'll find after a couple weeks, they won't need you, and you can move on to the next person, okay? Pay attention to people who are lonely. Who do you know in your world, who you work with, who's in your, in your neighborhood, who's in your family, who is lonely, who's lost, who doesn't have community? They go home. Man, I, I want to tell you the story of my neighbor. I hope she never listens to it, but 
She comes home. She goes into her garage. Her garage goes down. She's inside. The next morning, it goes up. She goes to work. She comes home. Garage goes down. She goes inside. I don't, nobody else comes. Nobody else is there. Every chance I get, I'm like, can we bring food over? Can, we, uh, can I take care of your dogs for you? Can I take them over a walk? Like, I'm just trying to do anything I can to stay connected because it feels like maybe there's not a lot of people in her life. Okay? Lonely people. Pay attention to people who are frustrated. People who feel like their wheels are spinning and, the, and the, their life is just not working. People are struggling with, uh, with addictions. People who are in a job they hate. People who are stuck in a family situation that they can't fix. Pay attention to people like that because they're often thinking, I am so not in control of this situation and there's got to be something else out there that I need to find. Okay, so pay attention to people who are frustrated. Pay attention to people who feel insignificant. You know, Jesus called us to live a significant life and he gives us mission. He tells us that we can be part of building his kingdom, that we can make a difference in the world. And people who are living in an insignificant life who feel like they're not really, add, it's not adding up to anything and they feel like they're not really getting anywhere, those are people who are ready to hear the gospel. Like I'm, I'm not asking you to go blanket every single person in your life. I'm asking you to think strategically about who is ready to be invited into a church. Who is ready to hear the gospel again for the first time or maybe potentially for the first time? Who are these people in your life? People who are in transition, who are lonely, who are frustrated, who feel insignificant. And like lastly, maybe just like potentially just pay attention to people. We just, we have schedules that keep us moving all the time and there are people in front of us all the time and we serve our schedule and we don't serve the person who's standing right in front of us. Like, what impact could you make? Maybe you don't have a chance to share the whole gospel, but maybe you can make some kind of difference in this person's life in that moment. So pay attention to people. And I would say, begin to pray. Because actually, seeing people come to know Jesus is not about our work. It is about us listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to use us in those places. It's about him putting people in front of us who are ready to hear the gospel and us boldly stepping out and sharing when we feel led by the Holy Spirit. Not being afraid, having boldness. So begin to pray for people who are lost, for people who are feeling insignificant or frustrated or lonely, who are in transition. Begin to pray before you even get a chance to open your mouth that you would have boldness, that you would step into it, and that you would go for it. When the teacher believed that his disciples were prepared to be like him, he would commission them to become disciple makers. He essentially was saying to his disciples, as far as it is possible, please now be like me. Do you know Jesus does that for us? I'm going to share with you Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is Jesus' some of his final words before he goes into heaven. Essentially, he's turning the reins over to his disciples and saying, okay, now you guys are in charge of being disciple makers. You are in charge of reaching people who are lost. You are in charge of taking what I have taught you and then giving it to people who need it. That's what it says, verse 18 in chapter 28 of Matthew. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. All authority is due to Jesus. He has not called you to do it alone. He is with you. He tells you to go and do what he has been teaching all along. And you know that those disciples who were terrified by what was going on in their world essentially followed what their master had laid out and began to share the gospel with the world and started a church that could not be stopped, that had a worldwide impact to the point that we are now sitting in this room worshiping Jesus because other people were bold enough to listen to the Holy Spirit and to do what they were called to do. Who are you reaching? Who in your world needs to hear the gospel? Who in your world just needs an invite and an ambassador on their arm to figure this thing out? God has called us all to be disciple makers, to go after people and to walk them through the process and to help them get connected to him. That is what you are called to do. And even if it is not one of your gifts and it is very, very uncomfortable, Jesus is still giving you an opportunity to do it in boldness, even when it's hard. That has to be what we keep in our purview, right in front of us, all the time. Something we're reminding ourselves. Stop turning inward. Keep turning outward. The inward stuff's going to happen. It's happening in homes all throughout the week. We have We have groups meeting every single day of the week, except for Friday and Saturday. Those are two days I couldn't get groups to meet. Actually, there is a Friday group. Never mind. Only Saturday. That stuff's happening. We need to be focused outward because the inward stuff will happen. This church is about great community. It is about being part of the mission. But it is also about reaching people who are far from God. And we can't get comfortable not doing that. So, we have Easter coming in like five weeks, six weeks. I would love it if every person would start to pray for somebody in their life that they will invite to Easter and have on their arm. I promise you that I will deliver the best gospel presentation that I could come up with, letting the Holy Spirit speak through me that morning. But the challenge is for you to be thinking about who that person is and to be each one of us trying to reach somebody for Jesus. We were not called to get together and be the frozen chosen. We were called to reach out of ourselves and find people who are far from God. So who's it going to be? My challenge to you is to begin to pray for that person and then to ask God to give you an opportunity And then to be looking for what it looks like to invite that person to come with you on Easter. Let me pray. Jesus, we know that you love lost people. You weren't worried about your reputation. You weren't worried about what anybody thought about you. And that you kept 
lost people in front of you all the time. In fact, you chased after them the way a shepherd chases after the one and leaves the 99. Jesus, would you install that into us? Would this church be the kind of place where lost people are welcome here, where the messier situations you bring into this church, the more we welcome you? Would there be people who don't find a connection in other places, but they find the love of Christ here in this place? Would there be people who have walked away from the church, who have given up on relationship with you, who are ushered into a brand new thing here? God, would you start to show us, each of us, who it is in our life that we need to be reaching out to? Would you show us coworkers and neighbors and family members and friends and people we went to high school with and loose connections on Facebook? God, would you just show us the people that you are calling us to reach out to and to invite back into a relationship with you, God? I pray that this church would not turn inward, but that we would continue to be focused outward chasing after, going after, pursuing the people that you desperately love and want to have a relationship with, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.